This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins. Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, be that city. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in. Another edition of The Other Side of Texas broadcasting from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. And we rave on here we are in these studios the racer car wash studios voted lubbock's best wash for five years running stop into one of five convenient locations across hub city for the best wash around guaranteed racerwash.com already got one text in and i'm about to address your concern if i sound a little somber it's because the whole region has reason to be somber and has reason to have a lot of vigilantiness in its throat right now. As we broadcast this program coming up, we have Sam Gwynn, S.C. Gwynn, a best-selling author, going to talk about the perfect pass, get you ready for Texas Tech football, get you ready for whatever football you're ready for, uh, a book about why and how Hal Mummy and Mike Leach revolutionized college football. And then thereafter, we're going to get in with our friend Brandon Darby. And Brandon Darby, his group, Breitbart, Texas, taking down some cartel leaders this week. We'll let him tell you the story coming up in about 33 minutes from now. And then we're going to play West Texas's favorite game. What do you got? Yeah, play that with our friend comedian John Lewis. Join us in towards the end of the program. We'll play. We're gonna play. What do you got coming up uh, here shortly? But as we lead off the program, I would be remiss to say that as of three minutes ago. There was a change of the guard at Texas Tech. Whatever Texas Tech is now, thanks to five regents and uh, Bob Duncan. Storied career, Bob Duncan, out at Texas Tech University for unexplicable reasons. And I say that with gritted teeth because uh, Hell's coming with us, Regents, right here on the other side of Texas. I'm going to read for you a best and worst list. Just, we'll do this for a couple of minutes, take a break, and get in with Sam Gwynn. It's a best and worst list from the Texas Monthly. They put out their best legislators and worst legislators. This is from 2011 and Paul Burka run and lead and this is what he says about Duncan a couple of paragraphs here as we give proper regard to the chancellor 
Legislatures can't function without members like Robert Duncan. Are you listening, Rick Francis, with your dental school on the brink? Quote, he has become a fixer, one colleague said of the soft-spoken Lubbock attorney, who seems to find himself doing more than his share of the Senate's heavy lifting every session. Scroll down. The secret to Duncan's success is that people genuinely, genuinely like him. He can occasionally sound like a professor on the Senate floor, but he does not demagogue. And he takes pains to never embarrass another member. As a result, when he speaks, members of both parties listen. When freshman senator, this is 2011, Brian Birdwill, tried to hike college tuition for DREAM Act students, undocumented kids who grew up in the U.S., excelled in school, and are trying to earn a green card by finishing college, Duncan rose in opposition. This amendment does not solve many problems, Duncan said. It's symbolic, and I think the symbol is not one that we'd be proud of. Birdwell, happy enough to debate Democrats who opposed his measure, had no stomach for taking on Duncan. He withdrew the amendment. I've written and I've talked in previous days about the egregious, inexplicable, matter that's gone down at Texas Tech and in the days and weeks to come this the story may filter out it may begin to die down but I can tell you based upon researchers that we have working in coordination with this program U5 and I'm saying this very very tactfully and not screaming so that my wife turns down the radio there's hell to pay and you'll pay it period in the story it's better just to stand up and resign now. And that's not me saying that we're going to force you to resign. But what you did, you know it. You've seen it in public opinion. You don't have anything that justifies a firing, much less a retirement, when an offer was on the table to go through the legislature in the 2019. And for that, you five will be under great scrutiny. I will not go after you personally. I will not bring your families into the matter, but you will be held accountable. And I think there are more than just myself who feel this way. Uh, you have put your own interest, financial and otherwise, hashtag Rick Francis, I hope that you listen to this, hashtag Borderplex. Explain yourself soon or you'll be made to explain what's gone on. It is a sad day at Texas Tech. There is disarray in Chairman Francis. Your pockets might be lined, might be lined, but soon your your inbox will be filled with questions. And better to come now than later. And Rick Francis, you ought to step down. Vista Trio, you have questions to answer as well. And Hammonds, I know that you're just a good old boy from Cotton Center, but these questions won't just fall short of you. Uh, you five... Uh, put us in this position and you've got questions to answer a little monologue there as we get into the break i'm gonna pick things up yeah jerry jeff will help us do that as we go into the bumper Woo, i just i feel strongly about this and i don't like the position we're in uh, 90 seconds from now how mike leach how mummy revolutionized college football coming up right here other side of texas 
this segment of in the program itself other side of texas is sponsored by the law firm of mullen horton brown llp with offices in lubbock amarillo and dallas employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation banking financial restructuring employment law and estate planning had the opportunity to sit down with sc gwynn a new york times best-selling author uh if you've not read empire i'm about to say that in the recording so i'm going to hold myself here uh sam gwynn always a pleasure having a program as many of you welcome college football tomorrow if you aren't aggies and i appreciate all you aggies listening in college station yeah you ought to go in and check out the freedom uh, the um, public records requests that we filed over the last week you'll find those interesting those of you with cell phones that you don't want made made public they're going to be made public but back to the matter at hand sam gwynn uh joined us and talked about how how mummy and texas tech's former coach mike leach transformed and revolutionized college football hope you enjoyed this interview here sam gwynn right now Hey, with football season right around the corner, I know we're all looking forward to those Friday nights and Saturday nights out in this part of Texas. Uh, somebody knows a thing or two about football and how this part of Texas may have helped college football evolve to some extent is Sam Gwynn, a show favorite. You've heard him on the program before talking about Empire of the Summer Moon. Highly recommend. If you live in West Texas or even interested in real Texas history, you got to check out Empire's Summer Moon. But we want to talk today about the perfect pass, the American genius and reinvention of football. Sam Gwynn, how are you? I'm pretty good, Jay. How are you doing? Well, we're, we're just rolling along here, bud. So football <laughs> coming right up. This is a New York Times. Is this one a New York Times bestseller? I believe it is, right? No, Rebel it, Yell. It was, yeah, it, well, it was on, they have a, a sub-list called a, a Sports Best Seller List. Okay. Yeah, it was on that one. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can claim that anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, it, just, it looks like every one of these are. So, that must be difficult to be Sam Gwynn and have to figure out which ones are New York Times bestsellers. But, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how uh, some unknown coaches revolutionized American football in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Okay, so this is a great story, and uh, I think it's a great story anyway. So in uh, in in 2009, uh, so Michael Leach makes his run at the national championship in the 2008 season, and uh, I'm working for Texas Monthly, and so you know it's that you know his victory over Texas. I mean, pretty much shook well the state, certainly, but the country, uh, and introduced a lot of people who, who wouldn't have known about what these guys these crazy people out in lubbock did and so at texas monthly in our wisdom we decided we were going to put leech on the cover of the magazine for because we're a monthly magazine so you know it was a long lead time we were going to put him on for the for the following september he was going to be our poster boy mm -hmm. and so i am sent out to do the story and uh at that point leech is really not a known quantity i mean there's the New York Times Magazine, a, a very fine writer named Michael Lewis, uh, you know, of Blindside and Moneyball and so forth, yeah. did a uh, did an article about Mike in the New York Times Sunday Magazine. It was actually a really nice little piece, although it, it only went so far. But I mean, that was 
but really nothing else on a national basis. So anyway, so I'm sent out to Lubbock. Go, go write about Leach. Um, and so I do. And, uh, and I wanted to write about the season, too. And, and I did, and I spent time, a bunch of time out there, and time with Leach and, and so forth. And uh, I was actually there mostly during their spring practice. Anyway, so at, I ended up. We put him on the cover. We he put a pirate patch over one eye, and Wait, so was that, that point, was was that Mike's idea or was that y'all's idea? That was the art director at Texas okay. Monthly's idea. Okay. And the interesting thing about it was, I think you know, y- y'all knew that he was the pirate, and mm-hmm. kind of maybe people in Texas knew that he was the pirate, but I don't think everybody knew that he was the pirate or thought of him that way, or ever after that cover i think people did anyway mike mike went along with it because you know why would why would mike of all people not want to go along with that so so the thing was so i wrote the story and it was kind of you know this phenomenon of this guy this amazing season and all that you know what as you might expect but at, at some point though i said to him i said you know i i have to know where you got this offense from because Michael Lewis had not gone into this and nobody had ever gone into it I said so where, where did it come from you know Leach was the crazy professor who I live in Austin he would come in here and put up 48 points on you and nobody knew how I mean yeah. it, it was the this thing that he did so I said where'd you get it from and he said well to answer that question I gotta tell you a story and it goes back to the 1980s in a little tiny town in in uh, Iowa, Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and a coach named Hal Money, and and it was at Iowa Wesleyan that we invented this offense, it's a, a school with 400 kids in the middle of nowhere with the worst football team in America, and and the thing that caught me though, and he said this, and I said, well, that's pretty amazing because nobody knows that, and then he said, but then the thing that really got my interest, he said, yeah, he said, you know, and in the off season. We would just get in this Hal's old car and we'd just drive across the frozen wastes of the Midwest mm-hmm. looking for the secret of the forward pass. We'd go to JUCO coaches and high school coaches and, and coaches from defunct pro football leagues and Canadian football coaches. They got in to see Lindy Infanti. They got in to see Dennis Erickson. These long buddy trips across the West. And I said, God, that's like a a buddy story from the Ring Trilogy, these young men looking for the <laughs> secret of the past. Mm. Really, I mean, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And so, and so I left that story. I was very pleased with the cover story at Texas Monthly, but I left there with two, you know, I guess bees in my bonnet. One was, okay, that's an incredible story. Somebody needs to tell that story. And two, I still didn't know how the damn offense went. And nobody did. So commentators had even less clue than I did. And so it was two things. And so then I went off and I wrote this book about the Comanche so for years, you know, Empire of the Summer Moon. Mm-hmm. And, and I worked for Texas Monthly and the Dallas Morning News. And then I wrote a book, a uh, biography of Stonewall Jackson called Rebel Yell. And the years go by, right? But I never forgot that idea. So I finished the Rebel Yell biography and I said, you know, okay, time to go back. Time to figure out who the hell this guy, how money was. And what did he and Mike do out there in the frozen wastes of the Midwest? Literally, that was, and, and so it was, I, my editor let me do it. Hmm. <laughs> All right. And so that's how. So I went out to figure out, so to, to do that book, which ended up being called The Perfect Pass, the goal was to tell the story of, of where that offense came from that I saw beat Texas 
in the fall of 2008, one, and then two, how the damn thing worked. I wanted to find that out. I was It really bugged me that I, that no one knew. Okay. Anyway, that's a very long-winded answer, well, but that, that's, that is what happened to me. So let, as a writer, it's sort of cool. Let me just... Uh... Let me reset. We do have Sam Gwynn. When you go into bookstores, it'll be under S.C. Gwynn uh, with us here talking about the perfect pass. And you can go back in our podcast and you can listen to another great interview that we did with him on Empire of the Summer Moon. So you get up into the frozen wasteland of the Midwest <laughs> and you track down Hal yeah. Mummy there. Well, I know I, I called Hal. Okay. And, uh, you know, I called... So I figured that here's what I, the first thing I needed to do was I needed to, because I, I knew this was going to be a great story, because I knew this offense was just uh, a remarkable thing. And frankly, at the time that I wrote the Texas Monthly story, it was just starting to dominate American football. In the next few years, it would just go crazy in yeah. terms of the influence of Texas on football, the number of seven and seven air raid camps, the number of people running air raids, the number of, I mean, the, the number of people just playing ball like Leach did would go crazy but I mean I, I, I knew all that and I knew that it was going to be a great story and, and so, so I called sorry go, go ahead well I just let me just interject there I remember being in Memorial Stadium at uh, at OU and them having to deal with the Crabtree in his freshman season I can't remember what year it was but I remember them bellowing all this dink and dunk football all this dink and dunk football <laughs> and we couldn't beat them we, I, we, I don't think Leach ever beat them at Oklahoma but how crazy today that Lincoln Riley uh, Leach protege is now the coach at OU but you're right to say it has dominated and it's crazy to think how many no, coaches and in, in the fact, Big 12 in fact it's one of the great but no, but you bring up one of the great sub stories here, and that is, and and it's amazing to to this day how many people do not know this story, and the story is that Hal, it, it, Mike, uh, so Hal Mummy is the head coach of Kentucky, Leach is his offensive coordinator, mm -hmm. uh, and they are just lighting it up. They've beaten Alabama for the first time in seventy five years. They beat LSU. They they they've got this quarterback named Tim Couch who's really something, Heisman candidate, and they're putting this kind of this this air raid that had come out of nowhere from the national perspective had just gone completely crazy and one of the teams that they played at Kentucky was Florida and Florida had a coach named Steve Spurrier who was a really good coach <laughs> and he had this DC whose name was Bob Stoops mm. and so uh, you know the Stoops was in a position to see this thing that Kentucky had w was bringing at him and so Stoops then gets this job, first year crummy program, lousy program in decline at U Oklahoma, mm -hmm. right? Gets the job in 1999. Stoops, um, Stoops goes, you know, I want this crazy offense from Kentucky. That's what I want. Hmm. Calls up Hal. He says, Hal, you just got to tell me, you just got to know one thing. Does Mike call the plays? And Hal says, no. <laughs> Hal says, no, he doesn't. Because you know, but he, he's been with me for ten years, and he knows this offense as well as I do. And basically, on the on the recommendation of Hal, Stoops hires a Leach, which is a crazy hire. Mm -hmm. Leach takes Oklahoma from 111th in offense to sixth. They just go crazy. He's so good. Leach is so brilliant that he's hired by this little university out way out in West Texas called Texas Tech, which hires him following that season, that great season. 
And then the payoff of the joke or the payoff of the story is the following year, you know, Leach is now gone, except that this this uh, quarterback named Josh Heupel, who he recruited from the middle of nowhere with a sore arm that nobody wanted, with with Heupel at quarterback, Mark Mangino running Leach's system, what happens? Bob Stoops wins his only national championship. Hmm. I mean, you know, talk about the influence of the air raid, and then the, and then I'm now bringing I'm closing the loop with your story about Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. So now, a couple years ago, you know, Stoops goes back to the well. He goes, you know, I did this once and it worked, and I'm going to do it again. He said, and he said, and then everybody else did it, but I didn't. Now I'm going back. He's going to hire the principal leash protege, Lincoln Riley, and he's been damned if uh, they didn't come close to doing it. So, you know, you're watching, and now watching, you know, Baker Mayfield running that Lincoln Riley offense, which, is, which isn't a pure raid offense, pure air raid offense, but it's certainly rooted in the air raid. Um, anyway, it's all, it's all totally cool. <laughs> Man, it is. We, we digress here, but, but that is one of the, my favorite stories out of this whole you know, the whole kind of coaching tree of the air raid deal. So have you followed it up since then, Sam Gwynn? Have you followed up evolutions? Because there just comes a point where I heard somebody say it's not necessarily true about the NCAA, but um, an NFL defense is the fastest evolving organism on the planet. And so do you see new wrinkles or new aspects have you followed leach at washington state to see what he's doing differently you know uh well there's lots uh, there are lots of components in that question uh leach runs as close to a pure air raid as anybody does mm-hmm. leach is very close to the origin of that mm-hmm. in fact his, his practices are almost out of the playbook from iowa wesley to 1989 uh he's very much a purist there are people you know, the coaching tree is so vast out there. Someone like Dana Holgerson, who actually played on that Iowa Wesley team for Hal and, uh, no and Mike. No way. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Dana, was, wow. Dana was, the, was the receiver on that team. Um, wow. And later a coach coached with them at Valdosta and uh, – at Valdosta anyway. Did he was at Kentucky? Anyway, Valdosta and Kentucky, I think both. But anyway, he's so, – so Dana doesn't run a pure air raid system, but he's, he's absolutely – pure out of the air raid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at the air raid uh, hereditary uh, hierarchy there. So he, uh, so uh, to answer your other question, uh, offenses have evolved, you know, and, and uh, when I was, when I'm writing in my book, as I do about when, when, when Leach and Mummy first unveil this, you know, in, uh, in its full flown, full blown form at Iowa Wesley in 19, in, in the late eighties and early nineties. I mean, nobody has any idea what this is. Mm-hmm. They just light up the world. Nobody can stop them. And they're so far out ahead in terms of numbers of passes thrown yardage, uh, percentage of completion. I mean, these crazy games where they never, they, they never punt on fourth down and don't yeah. kick field goals and they just run at high speed and they take it to Valdosta state and all that. There was a, there was a time when, you know, when, when, when uh, Kentucky hired Hal into the SEC and Hal started beating SEC teams, these people didn't know what hit them. Now, mm-hmm. the story of American football is defenses adapt. They do. And, um, you know, one of the things that Hal, Hal was doing all sorts of things, like, you know, these uh, option routes, which, you know, an option route is that's what Wes Welker did. He, you know, he, he would go where the guy wasn't. Mm-hmm. Now, you try to scheme yeah. that out if you're on defense. Try to scheme that Wes is going to go where you're not. 
um, it's an option route. That, that's those are things that were not common then. They are totally common now. People call it dink and dunk. A lot of what the dink and dunk was were these things that Hal essentially invented. And what they are, two forms of it is what we would call receiver screens. So before Hal, you had a screen pass. And what a screen pass was, the quarterback drops back, a, a kind of lifts the ball up in front of him to a back who has a wall of blockers in front of him and they move forward, right? A receiver screen was where the quarterback goes back turns and fires a ball up to 30 yards to the receiver on the sideline and the receiver goes down the field that nobody ever i mean that had been done but nobody had any idea what it was or a tunnel screen where the same receiver goes back and then comes back in these were lateral these were not the screen passes anyone had ever seen before Mm -hmm. so you think and dunk no no what hal is doing was stretching the entire defense 30 yards to one side that no one had done before and uh and so, so, so anyway, the long form of uh, the long answer here, or the short answer to uh, the, uh, the, diff- the complicated question is that yes, offense, defenses have adapted and, and, uh, and the air raid has had to it- itself adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think to some extent, you know, the NFL never bought into this because if you look at the pure air raid, now let's go back to Leach at, Texas Tech in 2003, just pick a year or something. This is pure air raid, man. He's running so many plays. He's running at high speed. There's 15 seconds between snaps, 18 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's high speed all the way. And linemen you know, spread it's, it's, out for like 25 yards. I mean, it's, linemen it's, spread <laughs> out so far that he has redefined geometry yeah. at the line of scrimmage. The, the defensive end is in the next county. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doubled the size of the line of scrimmage. He has he has doubled he has gone from 65 average plays to you know to, to 90 to 100 average plays. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go for it on fourth. He, I mean, rather he he goes for it on fourth down. So his team has four downs. Your team has three downs. It's just it's this complete reconfiguration of the game um, that that was just not you know pe- people had not seen these things yeah. before. They were radical innovations at the time. So same. And, uh, you're a long-time political observer, and it's really intriguing. Like, you go from Stonewall Jackson to uh, Quanah Parker, and then you're back over on the perfect pass. And I, I, it's a really intriguing mind that you have, by the way. And But I want to say, like, look, in politics, it's always – whenever you're in trouble, you've got to redefine the narrative and get the conversation going in a different dr- direction. And so I want to draw that analogy to – Gerald Myers in what was it 99 uh, Spike Dyke stepping down uh, Spike had given Tech a fighting chance by staying at you know winning seven eight games and and Gerald knew Gerald Myers knew that he needed to redefine the conversation to compete with all these big schools back when the Big 12 was actually 12 big schools and he went out and found somebody who could redefine the game if if UT and Oklahoma and A&M are going to have bigger guys, are going to have more five stars, then we'll just change the way the game is played. And I think for a lot of people who have kind of a egalitarian, I'll just ask you this question. For people who are root for the little guy, they love the air raid. They love the perfect pass offense because it gives the little guy a fighting chance. 
It, it absolutely does, and, and it is the reason for the air raid. That is why there is an air raid. So, uh, if you look at, say, uh, for you've probably read the book Moneyball. You know, the whole the whole point of Moneyball was that, you know, here's the problem that Billy Bean had. He had, I can't remember what the number was, twenty million dollars. You know, and the Yankees had one hundred eighty million dollars. Mm-hmm. That was the problem. How are you possibly going to win the pennant against a team that's got ten times more money than you do? And he came up with a, this, this sabermetrics and this, this form of analysis that he was going to kind of beat him with statistics. Okay, that's what he did. Hal had the same problem. Uh, and it really started, it was rooted at, um, well, when he was coaching at UT El Paso, but then coaching at Copperas Cove High School in Texas in particular, he, ha- he had a bunch of small, slow, weak guys. He had to beat big, strong, fast guys at Temple and Waco and Westlake and Round Rock and Georgetown, and that's why he built it. He built it so you could do that. And lo and behold, at Iowa Wesleyan, there they are out you know, in the frozen waste of the Midwest. I mean, they're, they have 400 kids in their school. They're going against schools with 18,000 people, big Division II powerhouses and creaming them. Their players are nowhere near as big, fast, or strong as those guys. So building this system, this great system that works that way, it is absolutely the little guy. It's just wonderful. And you're, it's interesting you, you mentioned Gerald Myers and that hiring. He had a problem because one, Spike Dykes is a good coach, and I think now, you know, if anybody needed reminding, you can see now it with Tech. Um, how it, it is really hard to win at Tech. You know, you're in a tough. You know, it's hard to recruit. It's you're up against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State that's got more money than God and everybody else and UT and all these people in the in the division. You know, it's not easy to win seven games. It just isn't. And anybody who says it is is crazy um, uh, from Tech. So Dykes was a good coach. And two, as you said, he had to somehow push the envelope a little bit somehow, you know, make it possible for people who were uh, – I mean, when I was writing my story, you know, um, going back to Leach's tenure there, he was fishing fifth or sixth at best in the recruiting pool, right? I mean, at best. Yeah, well, that's where he found he Wes. That's where he found Wes Welker was right there. That's where he found uh, uh, Crabtree. Crabtree was a lightly recruited quarterback from where was he? Dallas Carter somewhere. Oh, anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, um, you know, no, Mike. Mike would one. He would find these guys. He was just. He's still brutally good at finding guys like that. Josh Heupel. He found at Snow Junior College in where is it? Idaho. <laughs> Middle of. I don't know. I never heard of it. And with, with a sore arm, having busted out a Weber State. That's who Josh Heupel was. Wow. Leach is really so. It played to his strengths. It you know Leach is Leach is an eccentric guy. So you know he's out of the media spotlight that he would normally be in if he were in you know L.A. or New York or somewhere. He's out on the plains with his own world out there, and it was that's a great thing. And I and I think it's one of the reasons everybody, or so many people, miss Mike. You know, and uh, he was he's he, he was a guy that matched the I think matched the ethic out there. Yeah, I think that you know it wasn't easy for Spike either to win seven games, and even when no, we were talking no. about Southwest Conference. And you know, Mike has criticism because he took. He kind of changed the way that we were playing. He turned the table. So, like, Tech would – people would lure Tech into big pre I remember us going to University of Tennessee and, you know, getting money to go out there. And now Mike turned the table, and 
invited, you know, what would be 1A schools at that time, AA schools, to come in to Lubbock and to, to play. And he got some, some cheap wins. But I will say this, that I never saw Mike Leach choke up behind a microphone uh, like he did the day. And I, can't, I don't know the exact date, but whenever he beat Spike Dykes' record, that was the first time you saw him choke up and cry behind a microphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's as I said, Spike was a good coach, and uh, Mike was a good coach. But he, uh, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I think, I think what I think what I'm going back to something you said earlier, though, is you've got to if you're gonna uh, kind of shake things up out there on the on the high plains, you need to change the ground rules. And the air age shifted the the very ground rules of the game, the geometries of the line of scrimmage, the number of plays a team is supposed to get the amount of time a team is supposed to have i mean mike's teams played an additional quarter to a half on offense from the other team i mean he was he had more downs to work with more plays more space they stretched the field they did all these things that before you even get to x's and o's he 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 simplified the game so crazily at one point he only had five or six plays total um and and everybody thought he was a mad scientist with the New York phone directory full of plays. And the thing that always killed me about Mike was that the Crabtree catch against Texas is the perfect example of this. There's this one play that Mike has called four verticals. He just runs it all the time. If his coaches didn't make him run other plays, he would only run four verticals. He, he doesn't think he has to even have another play. Hmm. So as I point out in the first chapter of my book, in, in, when we're down to a minute and 29 seconds now against Texas, number one ranked team that has just beaten the like third, seventh, third, seventh, and eleventh ranked teams and hung 129 points on them in the last three weeks. The last minute, 29 seconds. Uh, Leach calls four verticals four out of six times. <laughs> and so when Crabtree makes that catch, it's because he was executing a play that Mike's guys had repped hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Mike's guys had very few plays that they repped over and over again. The opponents had very, tons of plays that they hardly repped at all. And w- what beat Texas was, was not black magic and not voodoo. It was execution. Yeah. Crabtree out-executed well, the opponent because – because of a dead simple offense that UT didn't really fully know what it was dealing with. Yeah. So, Sam Gwynn, as we close out, uh, humor me and let me tell you a story. Um, (laughs) So I'm 29 years old, don't have a lot of money, but I have got a real – because I'm following tech football very closely, and i got a feeling that it's going to be a great year going into 2008. And so I believe we played UT like the first week in November, somewhere in there. And um, so I got on eBay and I bought two tickets on the 50-yard line, third row, for the UT game. And I remember they were $500 each. And I threw down and I called my dad and I said, you and I are going to go watch this game because I think it's going to be a great year. And he said, okay. And, you know, knowing my dad, he went up giving me the money. But dad has tried to quit snuff for I don't know how long. And... In, in his intermissions on snuff, he's taken up chewing cigars. And I want to tell you, Sam Gwynn, that on that play that you just laid out, that vertical to Crabtree, and both of those UT uh, defensive backs missed him, and he hooks back in, I could not tell. My dad was 
to the to the north side of me, which is he scored that touchdown north end zone. I could not tell if he stepped out of bounds or not because Lee Corso was right in my way. But my dad's two inches taller than me, and Sam Gwynn, I will carry this. Me and my dad have a lot of great memories together, but I did not know if it was ruled a touchdown until my dad with that big cigar and him like with his lips puckered up and he put his hands up in the air and he looked down at me and that is my favorite memory of my dad and it's my favorite memory in tech in tech sports period i mean it's just to bring all that to a well, man, you saw you saw one of the, the greatest you saw one one of the greatest games ever played certainly the big 12 one of the greatest games of recent times but one of the greatest plays right i mean yeah and it was all confirmed uh, in my dad's the, eyes. <laughs> Go so ahead. Lee Corso, you mean, was right in front of you? Well, he was with Lee him. Corso was, he was within my line of view, and I couldn't tell if oh, Crabtree, when he made that move and juked, if he stepped out of bounds or not. And I had to wait on dad's confirmation, his big eyes sucking on his cigar with his hands over his head like touchdown. That's whenever I knew. <laughs> that's when I knew we had gotten him. <laughs> So. It's, it's such a dramatic play, and I think one, one of the things that people, I know we're closing up here, one of the things people forget about this, though, all Leach needs is five yards, and he's got, it's not a gimme, but it's a pretty easy field goal. He only needs five yards. We're down to eight seconds, right? And this is air raid. The air raid does not want five yards, <laughs> and it does not want to kick a field goal. That is not what it's about. And so yeah. instead of the gimme, not quite a gimme, but the easy way out, he throws a 30-yard, Graham Harrell throws a 30-yard pass in the air to Crabtree. Crabtree, who all he has to do is, is step out of bounds, and now they kick a, what, is it a five-yard field goal? Right? Yeah. Six or whatever. I can't yeah. remember what that distance is. Crabtree, well, he, they're, he, they're not about that either. He doesn't step out of bounds either. He tight ropes in, and it's this, just that absolutely astounding Mm-hmm. Um, moment. Anyway, and, yeah. And Brent, Mus- Brent Musburger, Crabtree, pulls free, <laughs> touchdown Red Raiders. That's a great moment. Hey, uh, he is Sam Gwynn. Go look it up, SC Gwynn. You can buy it for your tablet. A great book uh, as we get in football season. Maybe something great for a gift to give up as uh, we get into the Christmas season. Sam Gwynn, always great. I'm going to have to read Rebel Yell just as an excuse to get you back on the show. Well, uh, anytime you want to talk, you just give me a holler. Well, uh, he is Sam Gwynn. Appreciate you so much, Sam. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. That's our interview with S.C. Gwynn. Hope you appreciated it as we get ready for Texas Tech football tomorrow. I'm not making a leecher argument, any leecher argument, just telling you the facts that matter here on the state plains of the Caprock. Going to take a break, get in with our friend Brandon Darby coming up. Stay right where you are. This guy's taking out the cartels with Breitbart, Texas. You get the first hand account in about 90 seconds from now. Stick with us, other side of Texas. Must be the whiskey. This segment brought to you by Title One Lubbock's Digital Real Estate and Title Escrow Company as we roll along here. 
This edition of Other Side of Texas Title I is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title I can serve your realty consumer and lending needs at TitleOne.com. If you have enjoyed that last segment with Sam Gwynn, you'll be able to catch that over the weekend in our Apple podcast Uh, but for now we've got our friend your friend everybody's friend Brandon Darby managing editor of Breitbart Texas on the phone with us Uh, Brandon Darby how are you buddy I'm doing all right buddy doing all right I've uh, had a successful good day and everything's all right man You've had a pretty good week, but let's talk about uh, some of your findings over the past day. Um, well, I'm living, I'm living the Lubbock dream, is what I'm doing. Okay. So, but you don't live in Lubbock. Throw that out there. Well, I live really dang close. I mean, kind of. My address, my address says Lubbock. If you're mailing me a letter, you got to put Lubbock on it. Yeah, but I live that close. But in a ranch outside of town. Correct. Okay. Uh, so you've discovered a mystery for us. For those of us who are Gen Xers, you have uh, found that Meatloaf will do anything for love, but he won't do that. What is that, Brandon Darby? Well, you know, honestly, just to throw this out there, I've, I've had an intense week. Um, you know, our, our Cartel Chronicles project has been very successful. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in just a minute, but tell me about Meatloaf. But I want to, I well, first, though, I'm saying you know, that that's been kind of a lot of intensity. And so I found myself going through my music and really listening to music and trying to focus on the words. Usually I listen to love songs, even though even though I'm single, just throwing that out there for the ladies. Wow. Um, How can they reach uh, you? I find myself... <laughs> Brandon Darby I myself, at Breitbart.com? Uh, I find myself focusing on things, trying to get my mind off of some intense stuff that happened in Mexico. And, and this week's pretty, really, actually really intense stuff. And then I found my meatloaf song. That song, I would do anything for love, right? Why don't you give and us says, a little version of it? Well, it, it says, it's like, and I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. That's, and that's it goes good. on and on, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I remembered that years ago, I was like, yeah, what is that that he won't do for love? And so I start trying to figure it out. And I just couldn't figure it out. And I spent all day trying to figure it out. And I remembered how years ago I've spent many days trying to figure it out. So I finally said, you know what? The difference between now and when that song came out is, is now we have Google. And I Googled it, and then there was Meatloaf explaining it. And it was, it was, it, the answer was right in front of my face. That that he won't do for love is, is mentioned in the lyrics. So, like, there's actually six that's that he won't do for love. But the first one, it says, But I'll never forget the way you feel right now. Oh, no. And I would do anything for love, yada, yada, but I won't do that. Well, he, what he's saying he won't do, it's very profound, really, is that it's like it, he wants her, right? Like, so what he wants the most in the world is love, but even more than that, he wants her. So in order, if, if to have love... He has to forget her and how she feels and move on to another. He's not willing to do that. It's really simple and, and beautiful. Really. I, 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 thank you, Daniel. I, uh, 
I don't think it was that simple, but thank you for laying it out there. Yeah, beautiful concept. Okay. All right. Beautiful Uh, concept. Hey, let's move on to what you've been doing. Uh, A lot, I think, is on Well, well, that's what I've been doing today. Uh, I've been all about meatloaf today, but but on a more serious note. No, um, so let me introduce it. Like, it even makes Drudge Report this week that one of your reporters at Breitbart, Texas, Cartel Chronicles, has a price put upon their head, and then you guys fire back and get the person who put the price on the head arrested by Mexican authorities. But I'll let you tell the story from there. Well, let let me first say, so our Cartel Chronicles project, some of your listeners are are acquainted with it, Basically, we go into Mexico, we find people in Mexico who are trying to fight back. Some of them are journalists who, if they wrote about the cartels and exposed them, they would get killed, so we let them write under a pseudonym. But some of our people write under their own names, but usually it's people who live in the U.S. and have been given asylum because of of things in their past with cartels and the government. So we have this amazing writer named Jose Lara, and he... You know, he is just this brilliant guy. He, he did a lot in his country to, to, to better his own country and to fight cartels. Ultimately, because many people in the Mexican government are, in fact, in bed with the, with, with the drug cartels, what this guy did was he and a few others organized their community. They, they got a hold of weapons. They took up arms, and they actually fought the cartels. And long story short, but most of the people got, that he was doing that with got murdered. Uh, his father was kidnapped. He went and got his father back from these guys, like, with force, right? And then ultimately took the remaining people he was close to, his family, who weren't killed, and came to the U.S., and the U.S. gave him political asylum. And so he lives here. He, he moves frequently. Uh, it's a very intense situation. And he was like, you know, I, I really want to continue to fight these guys, uh, even though I can't be there. So with all of his access and sources, he began to write for the Breitbart Texas Cartel Chronicles project and expose these guys. So not too long ago, the, you know, the Mexican military was in Michoacan, Mexico, a state in Mexico, and uh, that's controlled by narco cartels. They were in there to look for this one cartel lieutenant that they never could find. This is in and what central we, Mexico? Correct. And, and central, kind of south-central Mexico. Uh, and they never could find this cartel boss. Well, then we got a hold of photos that showed the military commander hanging out and fraternizing with the cartel boss they couldn't find, right? What does that so mean, we fraternizing? Story. Is he like... Uh, they were hanging out, one? smoking cigarettes, talking, and being friends. They were, they were obviously friends. And so we published these photos. It became a huge scandal in Mexico. Mexican media went crazy. The Mexican government got embarrassed. They sent the federales in. They arrested the cartel boss. And we kept writing about that cartel. Well, it made them mad. And so the writer from there, uh, Jose Lara, who was, who was doing these exposés, uh, the other cartel, one other cartel boss, lieutenant from that same cartel, put out a $100,000 hit on our writer. And then he publicized it on social media that he would pay this money for, to anyone who killed a writer. Um, publicized it, uh, put out recordings. I mean, it was verifiable. He was put, this cartel boss was putting out this hit for $100,000. And so we had a couple of days where we were like, what the hell do we do here, you know? 
And um, I was a little worried when I called my the owner of Breitbart and I said, hey, we have a problem. Um, this is what's going on. I, I showed him what was going on, the verification. And I was worried he would say, hey, this is too much. We need to shut it down and we need to protect it. You know? And instead, I was honored that he said, honored to work for him when he said, screw that guy. He used other language. And he said, throw everything you have at that guy. And we did throw everything we had at him. And within 48 hours, the Mexican military arrested that cartel boss. And then we were able to obtain photos from the actual arrest that no one else has. And we published them, which shows them that we we had some involvement uh, in the arrest, um, and that's how we fought back. And we put out a strong statement saying, "Hey, you know, if you intimidate our writers, we will we will do all it will do is cause us to double down and go after you with even more vigor. Um, don't do it." And that's what happened. So kind of a shocking thing. Uh, interestingly, a, a lot of right-of-center media outlets did cover it, conservative outlets. All of the mainstream outlets who are busy patting themselves on the back like the Washington Post, and they're like, hey, our writers are so courageous, and they're heroes for challenging Donald Trump and, you know, and taking a stand against power as though there's some kind of, as though there's some risk involved with being a liberal journalist and writing something bad about a Republican president, right? Like they're, like something's going to happen to you which, in the U.S., which obviously it isn't. Um, they're busy doing that, and here our writer from Mexico, a man who doesn't even speak English, right, is um, getting a $100,000 hit put on him, and they don't cover it, even though it's verifiable, right? Um, and, and that's what's going on this week, and so so part of my brain is you know, was very worried. I've been through a roller coaster of emotions. Um, and the other part of my brain is, is as much as I try to not be political, brother, and I, I know that many of your listeners are moderate, many are, some are right wing, some are a little liberal. I'm, I try to not be political, uh, but I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I'm really struggling. Like, I'm really struggling with not clapping when Trump insults the media, when the media uh, establishment in the United States does crap like this. You know? Not only do they ignore these people's voices in northern Mexico, not tell their stories, ignore the violence, lie and say the border is safe, even though it marginalizes or further marginalizes millions of the poorest of the people in our hemisphere when they do that and lie like that, because it's not true. Um, but then something like this happens, and you have this Mexican journalist who's done so much, verifiably has done so much in his life to help his own community, and, and they just ignore the threats against him simply because they don't like Breitbart. Uh, that, that I find that to be kind of bothersome as well. You know, so I've, I've had a lot, lot going on, and honestly, back to meatloaf, um, <laughs> you know, I would do anything to get along and not be political, but when it comes to ignoring that kind of bias and that kind of, like, just horrible ethical lack of standards for U.S. media outlets, you know, I would do anything to get along, but I won't do that. You know, no, but I mean, listen, Brandon Darby, managing editor of Breitbart, Texas. A couple more minutes here. You, there's a hit that's put out on one of your reporters through Cartel Chronicles. People can go look that up. Uh, but a hit put out, and then so there's not seen, been much coverage, seen, and and you not, took there, it there's up. been coverage on the on the conservative side. You know, but on, on the, the mainstream media side or the le slightly left of center side, no, there's not been. What other outlets other than Breitbart, Texas, has carried this? 
you know, like Laura Ingram, obviously, some of the people from Fox have tweeted it out and promoted it and talked about it. Drudge, obviously, is a very significant uh, 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 platform to, to, to tell the story. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. There, there's, you know, you have, you know, you have right now, we have a pretty, pretty heated and contested uh, Senate race where one guy staying the border is safe. You know, um, you're talking about Beto O'Rourke and Tim like Beto saying the border is safe. Oh. Saying it, it's not, obviously not right. It's obviously not like the border is safe if you go down there and put your hand, head in the sand and act like nothing's happening. And as long as you let those guys run their drugs through your community and act like nothing's happening, then yes, it's safe for you. But if you're a journalist and you challenge them or you publish the wrong picture of them, then they put a hit, an assassination hit out on you. That's not safe, okay? Yeah. That doesn't happen in Lubbock. If I go write a story about a bad guy in Lubbock or a, a, a cop in Lubbock, I'm not, nobody's going to kill me and, and put an assassination hit out on me or my writer, right? That doesn't happen. So, you know, safe as long as you ignore what's going on is not safe, okay? And, and so, so, I, so I have a little bit of, like I said, I've tried to, I, I really, I'm trying to not get political about it and insult people. But I, I am struggling because I find it deeply offensive. You know, like if, if I find it very deeply offensive. But that makes uh, sense. You know, the, the, but Brandon, it makes The Committee sense. to Protect Journalists has reached out. You know, they, they know the history of the writer. They know the situation. They've been very supportive. International bodies to protect journalists have been very supportive. You know, Texas is, is, a, is a moderate state or a, a right-of-center state, a few clicks right-of-center. Um, even most of our Democrats are actually pretty damn moderate, uh, most of them. Um, you know, and if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're that and you're only going to write things that support the Democratic Party and, don't, and, and, and that insult Trump and you're not going to cover news like this, then get your stuff up and move to California and New York where that kind of stuff's acceptable. Yeah, well, you know, get out of Texas. To answer your question, we bring it both sides. My friend Brandon Darby brings this side and then... We got the Tribune, who is uh, uh, active on this program each week, and and I appreciate getting the the position from both sides. I think it leads to people getting good information. So, I I want to close off with this: your people are safe at this point. My my guys are safe. Uh, we're a hundred percent, two hundred percent, three hundred percent more motivated. Um, we have more exposés on that cartel and their bosses, more exclusive photos that no one else has of who they are, where they are, what they're doing, which politicians are protecting them. Um, and we're going to keep doing it and, and you know, threatening our, the lives of our writers, putting out hit orders on our writers and offering 100. None of that's going to matter because we're the United States of America and, and we're U.S. journalists and that's not going to be tolerated, right? So that's where we're at with it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, when someone says a, you know, tweets something rude at a U.S. journalist and they feel like they're under attack, I'm sorry that they feel that way. I'm not trying to minimize that their feelings got hurt, but to call that an attack on the free press, like, and then to ignore somebody putting a hit out on, on a U.S. journalist who's a Mexican immigrant, an asylee, a political asylee for that matter, uh, is is very offensive to me. Yeah. So I'll just leave it at that. 
Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas. You can go check out all the stuff there at Breitbart, Texas. And uh, appreciate your time, bud. Hey, thank you. Look forward to talking to you again. Brandon Darby, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good to have him here on a Friday. Take care of yourself, bud. Thank you. Uh, gonna get into a break and come back with one last little ditty here and it's going to be what you got with our friend john lewis stay right where you are you aren't gonna miss this a little overtime here on the other side of texas Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035. 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Hey, welcome back in. This segment brought to you by Lubbock File Room. Don't throw all that stuff in the trash. Let your neighbors go through it. Your business competitors go through it. Do what I do. Call Lubbock File Room. LubbockFileRoom.com providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992 for a free and hassle-free estimate. They'll drive it right up into your commercial property or wherever you are. Uh, just give them a call, 806-744-7666. That's LubbockFileRoom.com. And now, for our friend... John Lewis chiming in. John Lewis, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? He's a comedian, funny man, John Lewis in uh, Lubbock, Texas. So we're going to play a little game of, uh, li listen, Daniel is requesting that you not tuck over the ditty this time, but we're going to play <laughs> a little game of what do you got based upon our Ragergate coverage, and here it goes. What do you got, John Lewis? I can't call her. Right now. Daddy told me not to. Where do you live? Where do you, you know live? Why I live there? You know why I live there? You know why I got get it? Oh, I'm a bad mom. I don't play around. I work my ass off, and I take it seriously every day. What do you got? Okay, what do you got with our friend, funny man, John Lewis here? On the other side of Texas, a little uh, overtime here. John Lewis, let me ask you a very simple question. As I sit mm -hmm. here on my ivory tower here where Buddy Holly became famous, what do you got, John Lewis? By ivory tower, do you mean the toilet? No. Oh. I mean, the high, like, you can't even imagine. Like, I don't know what's in your genetics. I don't know if your dad was an alcoholic. I don't know what oh, leads you okay. to the genetic disposition or the psychological disposition that you have, but you are not a winner. Okay. 
Well, I mean, look, stating the obvious doesn't mean that you're not a jerk. Like, that's kind of mean, but I'm going to take it because I want to learn from the best. All right? And here's what I got. You're going to learn here, John Lewis. Jay, I got what it takes. I doubt it. You've lost the last three games that we played here, John Lewis. You don't got what do you got? All I'm saying, man, is people said that about the Lions for years. Eventually, you're going to have to root for somebody. You know, the Dolphins might make a comeback eventually. Excuses are like candies and nuts, ifs and buts. Mm. And I don't have any of that. All right, um, here's what I got. I got the last power outlet of the coffee shop. What about you? Mm, the coffee. I don't even hang out at coffee shops. I just buy them. But I know that at my house, we have two high-end coffee makers in several outlets and the house. So I don't have to fight for an outlet at a coffee shop like a loser, John Jeez. Lewis. And here I am scraping for change under my couch to buy a cup. Uh, uh, what let's do you see. Got? I got a buy one, get one coupon for a large pizza. <laughs> I don't have I don't have that because they just give me my food for free. (laughs) I've got a buy zero get anything coupon to buy anywhere in town. Why? Because they know who I am, and you know what, John Lewis? Do you know what they know? They know something else. They know where where I live. Where do you live? That's right. Man, I wish people knew where I live. I mean, some people. The repo man, I wish he didn't know where I was. In the Baracas? Um, okay. In the ghetto. Oh, come on. I got one more thing. I got a brand new eight-speed green bicycle. Oh, man. You got me there. You got me there. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I've got the exact same bike, and I got it for free. I found it laying on a bike rack at the coffee shop the other day where I get my coffee for free I just found it laying there what hold on one minute I'm gonna check something real quick hey my my bike's gone hey what coffee shop did you find that bike at wait what you're breaking up what what coffee shop did you find the bike at that's all the time we got it's all the time we got for today I don't have a way to get home Uh, I I need some way like, yeah. I need an Uber or something. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's all the time we got for today. Thank Don't, you, Funny no, Man. wait, wait. At John oh. Lewis Funny on Twitter. Thank you for joining us. Oh. Uh, that, that's all the time we got. Thank you, John Lewis. Right back. I'm going to hang up on you now. Yeah, it's a great bike. Great. Greater than anything you've got. Where do you live? You know where I live? Hey, that was a uh, funny man, John Lewis. There, as we close out with you, uh, what do you got? Uh, appreciate John Lewis at John Lewis Funny on Twitter. Um, gonna close out this edition of the the program. We will not be with you on the next edition for Monday, but we'll follow up with you. Got. A statewide name, somebody who's grown to some acclaim out of Lubbock, as uh, as you can see my piece there, other side of Texas, Greg Abbott's growing Lubbock problem, George McMahon at the center of the storm, retired, well-respected developer in Lubbock, going to come on the show unedited and let him say his piece about what he thinks. Some of you might think he's a Lupe Valdez voter 
And to that, I would say that you're wrong. I would say that he agrees with the governor in most of the time, but has a problem with where the governor's landed with him and how he's and his wife, by the way, have been treated. But for now, I want to sign off for, and what a pleasure to sign off for SC Gwynn and Brandon Darby. And if I might say, Chancellor Bob Duncan, and to your five, to you five again, uh, daylight is the best anesthetic. Uh, come out into that daylight, and a couple of you, a few of you, should resign. And if you want to keep this up, we'll keep it going here on this program. Uh, no doubt about it, 100%. Uh, all sorts of leads and sources all the time. Uh, you want to talk about San Angelo ISD? And this is me just, this is me subtweeting these guys on air. You want to talk about your bid with San Angelo ISD? You want to talk about Borderplex and what you stood personally to gain with there being a dental school and no vet school? We can talk about that. We can talk about all sorts of bankruptcy damages to be incurred by your banking institutions. We'll talk about that in the days to come. Or you can just reach out to me directly and only reach out to me if you want to go on record j at jay at other side of texas.com i will not take you off record it will be off record but i promise you it'll be a lot less painful than w what you're about to walk through and uh, we have plenty of people working and like i've said i've tweeted this before you guys do not understand that you've got an enormous underground effort underway and they've got your numbers and there's a lot of stuff that we've not come out with on this program but we will and i would just encourage you guys to step up to the mic step up to the phone and come out into the daylight because it's only a matter of time the problem is that your regents in the biggest small town in the world and there's a lot of information out and i hope that going into the labor day weekend that makes you nervous but I want to encourage you to alleviate your nervousness by just coming out. Just give me a call. You know my numbers. You know all the people who know my number. Uh, you can contact me at the email address I just gave. Uh, but it's going to be a hard end of the year for some of you guys. And if you think that maybe I've gone overboard with Bart Rager, I'm not. But... I'm willing to go overboard with you guys. You've got some great, enormous questions to answer. And stop telling me, ask Duncan. As of right now, as we broadcast, Duncan is no longer here. And that's on your hands. And we've still not gotten an explanation. We'll put together a statewide explanation on this program. And I will do it because I, I will not abide by this. And if that sounds like machoism, it's not. There are a lot of people who have got a lot more skin in this game who depend on this program. So you, gang of five, some who call you the gang of five, I saw something on Twitter today and got a couple of responses about a regent who spent some time in Kansas City with a former Texas Tech coach, and it was... Well, I guess he couldn't hang out with Vaughn Miller, the accomplished Texas Aggie, at, uh, at Denver. You guys have a lot of questions to answer, and we're going to keep answering those, uh, asking those questions 
I just really encourage you to step out. Come on. Because what you're doing is well beyond. Even some of you guys who are raised here, this is below a West Texan. And, you know, it is with sadness I opened up this program to say that Bob Duncan is no longer here. But you've got great questions to answer about why he's not here still. And Governor Abbott, who forced your hand? And who forced your hand via Daniel Hodge in late 2016? Who? Because I think we've got those answers too. It's, it's time for everybody to come to the table. And uh, if you think this is some little podunk outpost radio show, go look at our at our analytics and you'll find otherwise but in the meantime uh, I put my money where my mouth is on this program I believe in place and you five have via Daniel Hodge via Greg Abbott via the great maroon and white storm caused a lot of harm and you'll be held accountable but all that to get into next week. We'll talk to you a few days from now. I hope you enjoy your Labor Day weekend for now. Gonna get home. Gotta get home. Great family. Above average dinner and a lot of meat to cook this weekend. And probably some good craft brew. I think I'm going to go with Big Bend this weekend. But I hope the best for you and your family as we enjoy this Labor Day weekend, we're going to close out this edition. Find us Other Side of Texas on Facebook, OtherSideOfTexas.com, at OSTX on Twitter. See you next time right here on The Other Side. Belly up in this place.